0: all right hold on i have some popcorn stuck in my teeth i went to oh, the dentist good. today
1: how's that
0: they said no cavities
1: let's go and then, <laughs> and
0: then, um whenever they have me bite down they're like oh when did you have braces and i always say i didn't and then they look at me and they're like shut up and i'm like It's the only thing I have going for me right now. And they thought it was very funny. And I was like, no, no. (laughs) You really
1: (laughs) do not know. This is literally (laughs) the only thing I have going.
0: Um, I'm really excited to talk about this today. Because my tummy always hurts. And I hate capitalism. And I think they all tie together.
1: Yeah. I think stomach (laughs) aches are directly tied to capitalism, personally. (laughs) Headaches, stomach aches, teeth aches, body aches, muscle aches, all roads lead to capitalism. I'm Lexi and I'm Lane and this is my therapist told me the podcast where we unpack our lives and encourage you to do the same hey Lexi how are you
0: I'm so good how are you
1: I'm doing well I'm doing well I got a job today
0: (gasps) yeah my little baby's all grown up
1: yeah you know after Gosh, six weeks of being unemployed, I finally secured an offer, and I get to start in a few weeks.
0: Woo! You, the audience cheers of, maybe we'll have five listeners by now.
1: Oh, do you think we'll have five?
0: <laughs> a girl can dream.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we will find five, even if it takes all of our effort. Like I said in the in the early intro, all roads lead to capitalism, baby.
0: I was, speaking of capitalism, I was thinking of like posting it to my Instagram story and being like, leave us a review. If we blow up and become super famous, I will Venmo you $10. Like I will write your name down and remember this moment. And I wonder if people will actually do it.
1: I think so. That's, I mean, we'll each Venmo people $5 if they write a review and get us to blow up, and then we'll be set because then we'll have so much in our creator fund that we won't even have to worry about that $5 (laughs) one day.
0: Yeah, we'll do some strategic planning around that. Lane, today we're going to be talking about chronic illness and chronic health. What do you know about the relationship between chronic illness and your brain?
1: I actually don't know much at all. I'm going to be very honest. I only initially discussed this topic. I was like, oh, this sounds so interesting. And I think it's because it's something I, I know very little about, if anything.
0: Okay, well, that's totally fine. Let's jump right in. So according to the CDC... Chronic illnesses or diseases are defined as conditions that last one year or more and require either ongoing medical attention or limit activities of daily living or both of those things combined. Types of chronic illnesses include Alzheimer's and dementia, arthritis, cancer, Diabetes, heart diseases, and many others. And shockingly, six in 10 adults in the US have a chronic disease, and four in 10 have two or more. So, this is occurring on a massive scale in our country.
1: That's actually so high. I never would have imagined one in 2 percent of people live with a chronic illness. So, meaning yeah. that it lasts more than a year and requires yep. ongoing medical attention.
0: Yes. Yeah, I know. It's pretty scary. And coming back to capitalism, as all good podcasts do, in (laughs) 2016, the total cost of direct healthcare treatment for these various chronic health conditions totaled $1.1 trillion in the United States, which was nearly 6% of our nation's gross domestic product, according to the Milken Institute.
1: That is the wildest number I've ever heard. Just 6% of GDP. That's a wild number.
0: Yes, it's frightening.
1: <laughs> Impressively frightening. Yes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I wanted to talk about this topic today specifically for a couple of reasons. The first is that there is obviously some component of mental health associated with the topic. So we'll start right with that. As you can imagine, receiving a diagnosis of a chronic health illness can be life altering in a lot of different ways. So You know, you can think about the day-to-day symptoms of the illness. And then there's also the emotions associated with a diagnosis like grief, denial, despair. But we also have to really consider coming back to capitalism. Again, I didn't realize this show would be that tied to capitalism. But there is a financial burden that can follow a diagnosis. So a lot of people, especially in places without universal health care, cough, cough, have to make a difficult decision between their health care and their basic living expenses. And I don't think that's fair. And I think that can add a lot of extra stress on top of a new diagnosis.
1: It's hard to really comprehend just how damaging not having universal health care is, and I'm saying this to you as somebody who just went through this period of unemployment, like thank God I'm not twenty six yet because trying to get basic health care without health insurance in the u s is already a nightmare, yeah and so to add everything else and to like think about compounding all of these issues,
0: ugh, it's a lot
1: just hard to imagine, yeah,
0: yeah, so. Why does all of this matter? Well, it matters for a lot of reasons, but people with chronic illness are two times as likely to suffer from anxiety or depression as those who do not have those diagnoses. And for specific chronic illnesses, that rate can be even higher. And there's things outside of anxiety and depression too. Some people can develop PTSD, which if you aren't familiar is post-traumatic stress from a diagnosis, a treatment, or even the ongoing battle with this specific illness. So for example, one study that I found said that one in five cancer patients developed PTSD after their diagnosis, which is really significant and quite scary to think about.
1: So thinking about that, I'm curious if that means that the diagnosis itself was the, the traumatic of it. Is that what the study was saying?
0: Mm, that's a good question. I think it can be all the parts of it. I think it can be the diagnosis. I think it can be the treatment, like going through chemo, for example, for a cancer treatment can be very traumatic. And I also think sometimes the longevity of the fight for cancer can just Cause it as well. Like you hear of stories of some people who are navigating cancer treatments for several years or will go into remission and then it will pop back up. So I think it can be a lot of the different parts of the process, but certainly it sounds like the diagnosis can be contributed to it as well. Wow. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about this because with managing certain mental health diagnoses like depression, it can be really challenging to manage your self-care. So if you think about first, you're having to manage maybe your finances. Second, you're having to manage the conditions of the actual thing that you have been diagnosed with. And then now you're also having to manage a mental health illness or struggle. I mean, it just there's a lot of layers of difficulty there and i am not a science queen but i am a research queen so i found That's some right. interesting <laughs> i found some interesting research that suggests that this link between mental health and chronic illness can be because of a lot of different reasons so this first one said that it may actually be because of abnormal levels of hormones and neurotransmitters so for example parkinson's disease involves abnormalities in the dopamine system so it may be because of the actual chronic illness itself but other scientists suggest that the link may be something more straightforward which you can think of as just increased stress after a diagnosis and having to manage it and you can you know think about some of these people who have been diagnosed have to completely change their lifestyle or they feel really misunderstood by their family or friends who don't now have the same limitations as them. And so that can be challenging. But the third one, the third reason, and the one that I thought to be the most interesting is that some scientists think there may not be a link between the disease itself, but the medication used to treat it. So there's a meditation, a meditation. God, I'm so obsessed with yoga. So there's a medication type called statins, and it's prescribed to lower cholesterol. But some studies have found that that specific type of medication may actually contribute to depression because the natural levels of cholesterol in the brain help you to release neurotransmitters. So when that cholesterol lowers, it may not be releasing. I'm not going to pretend I know a lot about what that means. Again, I'm not a science queen, but it doesn't sound good.
1: (laughs) It doesn't sound like it would be natural, like it's supposed to be working. So I could definitely, I I, I kind of get what you mean there.
0: That's like, you you know,
1: some intro to psychology stuff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. So all of this to say is that in an ideal world, it seems like the good fit for these people with chronic health diagnoses are to have health practitioners who work together to coordinate their care for their patients. So maybe this means that mental health providers are partnering with general practitioners and they're offering medication in conjunction with something like therapy. But it's seeming like from my research that this appears to be a more holistic issue with the body and the brain and all these different pieces connected and so we just need to really think about that and I just want to clarify that obviously chronic health conditions cannot be treated with therapy alone like I'm not saying (laughs) you know if you get a cancer diagnosis therapy is going to take it away I definitely don't think that's the right path but I think that therapy or seeing a mental health practitioner can help those people to improve the quality of their life while they're managing some of these physical symptoms and conditions.
1: Yeah, I certainly hear you there. I know one of the reasons or one of the pieces of this that you mentioned with people becoming more stressed or having to adapt their lifestyle to their chronic illness, Uh, Andrew and I have a friend who got a chronic illness diagnosis back in, I want to say, January of this year. and. He was a a friend of ours who we went to the same gym with, and so we were seeing him every morning. And then he stopped coming. And when we reached out to ask why, it was literally because of that. So he had to completely adapt, you know, his lifestyle. He was like super fit, swimmer's bod, like type guy, and now all of a sudden he can't work out and he's on a restricted diet and had to completely adapt. And so I'm just thinking about that in that light as well. You know, like what you mentioned, like adapting your lifestyle, but also having to deal with that mentally on top of managing your illness you know it is definitely a compounding issue and yeah therapy alone won't fix it but it could help
0: yeah yeah i totally agree thanks for sharing that okay let's jump into our chronic health issues lane what chronic health issues do you have
1: (laughs) i think i don't have any Go lady. Go go me. I, I think I'm relatively healthy here. And I guess unless eczema counts. Is eczema a chronic <laughs> I illness? I don't know.
0: I'd I'd have to look it up. Let's look it up right now. Eczema. You got eczema. It says it's a chronic disease, so I don't well,
1: know. I I don't right. know. It's not it's not one that as is as severe as a lot of chronic illness, but <laughs> yeah. I, I do have eczema, and it hasn't led to any huge mental health issues for me personally. But aside from the fact that when my arms do flare up and they're like super red, it bothers me when I wear certain stuff. But aside from that, it's it's not weighing me down like a lot of chronic illness.
0: Living the dream.
1: Uh, what about you, Lexi? Do you have any chronic illnesses?
0: <laughs> yeah, I have a couple.
1: I was just going to say, yeah, maybe uh, maybe just a few there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have the asthma, which isn't really a problem unless I run. So I just kind of avoid that activity and, you know, I'm fine. Or if I get really ill, I kind of wheeze. I'm like, Ey, which is scary for people. But I'm like, no, no, I'm good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, who wants to run anyways? Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's one exercise that should just be eliminated from our lives
0: agreed we should not run unless something is chasing us and then i cannot believe i'm saying this to the whole wide world but i have ibs
1: we're really just laying it all out there for the people
0: honestly i hope my future partner never listens to this show because we're really getting in today
1: (laughs) that is you know a-okay like it's something that they'll need to know eventually yeah, well, like, we'll
0: talk about that for sure. I mean, in,
1: in some ways, it's kind of like a gremlin, you know, like don't give her too much water. Don't feed her <laughs> after midnight. It it totally, you know, makes sense. They need to know these things. I I lived it for three years. So I think that whoever your next life partner is needs to know these things.
0: Yeah, you can write them like a to-do guide, how to manage Lexi's IBS. <laughs> so if you're brand new to the tummy ache area and you haven't heard of IBS, it stands for, I again, can't believe I'm saying this, irritable bowel syndrome, which is just such a nasty name. For this. <laughs> and it's an intestinal issue, and that's all I'm going to explain. If you want to learn more, then you should look it up on your own because I don't want to talk about poop on the show, but, um, so I was diagnosed with this while I think we were juniors in college and I've had to be very cognizant of the types of foods that I'm eating, even to the point where I'm now on this super fun thing called a low FODMAP diet. Have you ever heard of this lane?
1: The low FODMAP diet. I only heard of it because you sent it to me the other week.
0: Spoiler alert. Yeah. So for those who don't know, it's just very restrictive. There's, you know, no dairy, no gluten, limits of certain types of spices like onion and garlic, no high fructose corn syrup. You know, it's just different categories of things that you try to avoid basically for six weeks and then you bring them back in and you try and figure out which categories of foods are really irritating you. So that's been a huge change in my life. And honestly, it's been hard because these foods are expensive. Gluten-free bread, first of all, is like so mushy. I cannot, I hope to God it's not gluten that I'm allergic to, but it's like very different texture. So I just want to put that out into the world, but also it's wildly expensive. And like, Okay, here's something you never thought about. There are no ketchups on the face of the earth that do not have garlic and onion in it. And if you know me, I'm like obsessed with ketchup. And so I had to, I I bought a special ketchup off of Amazon. I'm so ashamed. That's made for this diet, but it's like $12. (laughs) I gotta be very sparing with my ketchup. But I was trying to, you know, get some of these foods so that the transition felt more natural for me, you know?
1: Yeah, certainly. But no, not a single ketchup without onion or garlic, except this special ketchup.
0: Yes. And the same thing with pasta sauce, which is so hard because, you know, this one's a tough about, one. We talked about the Italian side. I really I eat probably spaghetti with pasta sauce like once every two weeks for a couple of meals. And so papa john made me a special a special batch without it
1: what's no onion or garlic
0: yeah yeah he's so great and so is my mom i gotta shout her out too she's been helping she she made me low fodmap lasagna and dropped it at my front door because my parents are so amazing
1: oh that is too sweet shout out john and pam
0: Yes, this is like the third shout out. They're probably like, God, stop talking about us on this podcast already.
1: John probably loves it. Pam would probably be like, "Uh, Lexi, I know you love me, but.
0: So, yes, it's been hard. There are many days in my life where I look six months pregnant and I'm shocked that people don't ask me when the baby is due. So
1: stop, stop. I'm not
0: even kidding. Um, I'll show you some pictures of recently it's gone bad. Here, I'll just show you a picture right now. Let's get a live review of what you think. This is from like two weeks ago after I ate pizza and cannolis.
1: So you violated your diet.
0: No, this was before the diet, Lane. Thank you. Tell me it don't look like That's... there's some twins up in there right now.
1: No, it does not. You don't look like at all. don't I, lie. I'm even kidding.
0: Do I, not I, lie.
1: I'm not lying. This is just a a prequel to next week's episode of Body Positivity here.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, I'm working on it. So anyways, it's changed my life in a couple of different ways where I have a modified diet. We'll get into some of the physical symptoms later, but I experience a lot of fatigue and bad days where I'm just in a significant amount of pain. I've had, unfortunately, some other health issues that have been related to this that I'm not going to get into on the show, but there's been other things that have come from this diagnosis that have made it harder. So just a lot of different things to think about. Okay. So really quick, I want to take you on a fun little tangent. So we're talking about our gut and I'm sure that you've heard that the brain and your GI system are intimately connected, right? You've probably Mm -hmm. seen it in articles or online or things like that. Johns Hopkins Medicine has even gone so far as to say that they think that there's like a little brain that lives inside your gut, which is really your, it's called the enteric nervous system or the ENS for short. And Mm -hmm. it is essentially two layers in your GI tract that have over a hundred million nerve cells. And so while those nerve cells are obviously not capable of thought like our brain is, they do send messages and communication to our brain. But Johns Hopkins Medicine has found that irritation in the GI system may send signals to your central nervous system or your brain, which can trigger mood changes. And this is huge because for decades, People have been saying it's the other way around. You know, people have said that when you're stressed, it'll cause gut health issues, but it's possible that it could be reversed or both at the same time. So, what do you think of that?
1: That's super interesting. The last part you mentioned, just like the brain causing the stomach issues, I'll never forget one of my elementary school teachers always used to get mad at one of the other classes because they'd be so loud in the cafeteria and she was always super adamant that if they didn't calm down they were going to stress her students out which would cause them to get an ulcer as if like our stress would lead directly to like her mm. gi help.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah it gets complicated and i'm not a scientist but i mean certainly your brain affects your stomach I'm thinking of like traumatic experiences like a breakup or something where you're feeling really emotional and really overwhelmed and then like your stomach starts hurting and you know you feel like maybe you need to use the restroom or things like that like I think there is definitely that connection so thinking that it could also be the opposite effect Yeah it it's really it's really interesting to think about So I share all of this with you to say that Up to 40% of the population has functional bowel problems at some point in their life, which is, again, wild statistic. But thus was the creation of hashtag gut talk. Are you familiar with hashtag gut talk?
1: (laughs) I can be very honest and say that I am not familiar (laughs) with hashtag gut talk.
0: So gut talk Like T-O-K is a hashtag on TikTok and it has over 400 million views. And in these videos, typically there are young, white, affluent women who are providing what they say to be the best remedies for your gut health. So some folks are saying it's specialized juices. I've heard bone broth, which is really freaky to me. There's even this girl. Named Olive Oil Queen, who advocates for drinking olive oil every day of your life.
1: How much olive oil?
0: I I think like a spoonful. And her video was viewed more than 3.5 million times. So there are possibly 3 million people who are now sipping down some olive oil every day.
1: Goodness gracious.
0: And don't get me wrong, I I love some olive oil, but... Ew, alone? That is nasty.
1: I don't think it's the remedy for your gut health, personally either. She
0: she's convinced. She has said that she's lost all of her bloating and that she has like cleared her skin and like all this different stuff. Like she is on an evangelical like mission to get everyone to eat olive oil every day.
1: I will be very honest and say that anything super oily when i eat it like especially olive oil and i'm gonna say especially olive oil but anything super oily when i eat it personally makes me feel bloated Mm. so if we have like too much oil or something that it does the opposite for me i feel like
0: such a great segue lane thank you for saying that Doctors and dietitians are freaking out because all of these girls are trying to push these remedies, and there's literally no proof that any of them work. Even more of an issue, they can affect people in very different ways, just like you said. So, one example is that some a current trend is that some folks are taking shots of aloe vera juice, which is said to clear up your like your gut health issues. <laughs> it's causing explosive diarrhea for some people
1: <laughs> i'm not surprised it's like if somebody were to look at you and say like yeah take a shot of espresso every time you need your gut health checked like yeah it's gonna clear your system that's why your <laughs> gut's feeling okay
0: yeah so that's my tangent uh i'm here to say don't follow gut talk talk to a doctor consider long-term lifestyle habits. Please don't take shots of olive oil. It's not, it's not it.
1: Yeah. It's going to be the new pickleback. Instead of taking a shot of pickle juice, you take a (laughs) shot of olive oil after your, after your shot at the bar.
0: Yeah. I also had a note about linking the wellness industry to capitalism, but I don't think we should get into that today. (laughs) Maybe that's a whole future episode.
1: (laughs) That sounds like it would be an entire episode.
0: We can come back to it.
1: So, Lexi, talking about all of this, what did your therapist tell you in regards to chronic illness and its relation to your mental health?
0: Yes, thank you for asking. I talked with my therapist about this a lot, especially recently with my new transitions to my diet and things like that. But as I mentioned earlier, my IBS has been something that I've struggled with for four plus years at this point. And... Something that has been hard is that my chronic health struggles, along with many other people who are facing this, is that they're invisible, right? It's not like I broke my arm and everyone can tell and it's easy to explain and things like that. It's invisible, but it's still there. And there are days when my body is really sick and it's hard to get out of bed or I have to take a nap because I'm in so much pain and I just need it to go away. And so I've been talking to her about on those days, I need to treat my body with the same care and grace that I would as if it was something else that you could see. So if I need to take a nap, I will take a nap. And speaking of naps, this is crazy. I found this during my research. A 2016 study showed that as many as half of people with diagnosed IBS experience fatigue and long-term exhaustion, most commonly associated with young females, which is me. So there's data that says that I'm going to feel this way and I need to just accept it and be able to treat my body when those things do happen.
1: That's super interesting. I feel like I'm not surprised that there is that you know, correlation. But now we do have data that shows that you you do be sleepy.
0: I do be sleepy and my me do be hurting. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I've chatted with her about is the fact that my diagnosis feels embarrassing. I think because it is related to, you know, your tummy and using the bathroom. <laughs> and it's just embarrassing. But I have a funny story. So when I first started dealing with this in all of college, I remember you were you were there. You were right by my side. But I had to go get, oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying this again. I had to go get a colonoscopy, which is like so crazy at the ripe young age of 20, when I think you're supposed to be like 50 before you get them. Anyways, they wanted to rule out Crohn's or cancer or anything severe. And I had just started talking to someone that I was very interested in dating. And I told him I wasn't feeling good. And he was asking me what my symptoms were <laughs> and like if he could bring me anything. And I was way too embarrassed to explain to him that I was preparing for a doctor to stick a camera up my butthole. You know, it's just <laughs> not cute.
1: <laughs> we are really not holding back at all.
0: <laughs> I mean people know I just want you you all to know what to brace for for colonoscopy if you haven't been yet. They're so fun. So yes, right. It's embarrassing to explain to partners. We talked about that at the beginning of the show, you know, I'm one day going to have to tell other people about it and it's, it makes me nervous. But I think another part of this is that I often joke about it a lot, you know, say my tummy hurts and lactose intolerant. I try and make it a running joke. And I think it's become a running joke with a lot of my friends, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's how I've learned to cope with it. But I think I do joke because there is some amount of shame linked to it. And I know that others with chronic illnesses experience this type of shame as well.
1: Yeah, I, I know what you mean when you are talking about like making humor out of it as almost a way to like cope. But there is that underlying shame. But just curious, what do you mean by shame? How are you defining that?
0: No, that's such a good question. I feel like a lot of it comes from this internal internalization of the cultural belief, specifically in Americans, is that we are somehow at fault for getting or continuing to be ill. And I feel like that's just a weird narrative that we've been pushed for most of our lives. Like, if you eat healthy, if you work out all these things, you won't be sick. But sometimes that doesn't help you at all. I also think there's shame surrounding the fact that illness can make our bodies look different. You'll hear that a lot of folks with chronic illness struggle with weight loss, weight gain, you know, bloating, like I talked about. So it's just, you don't feel like yourself and you just feel like you look different than yourself. And I think another part could honestly be the vulnerability that's attached with it. So, you know, You can think of examples of people having to use a handicap pass and sometimes they may look physically fit and people will judge them because they're like, why do they need a handicap pass? Or in my case, having to ask for dietary restrictions to be accommodated. It just makes me feel like people have to go out of their way to take care of me, which as a people pleaser, is just not a fun feeling.
1: Yeah, I totally hear you on that. You know, the handicapped parking comment is actually so true, and something that I I feel like heard mentioned before, but it kind of painted it in a new light. You know, being able to understand that not all illnesses, disabilities, whatever we want to call them, are necessarily visible, and that people are living with stuff that we'll never know about unless we know them as a person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, I'm working through this shame with my therapist, and we've spent a lot of time. Talking about it. And something that we've settled on is that, you know, I really have the power to share whatever diagnosis I get when and where I want to. It's not something that I need to announce to the world, but here I am on the podcast announcing it it... to the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, this all goes back to our very first episode. Like, we want to decrease the stigma. And yes, this is super awkward for me to talk about. And I don't know. It's weird. It's hard. But like 40% of people are dealing with some sort of gut health issue right now. So I know there are other people who feel the same way. And six in 10 people are dealing with chronic health issues. So like a lot of us are dealing with it. Let's just be honest about it. And going back to the shame piece, you know, it's really not a burden to ask for what I need. If it's going to keep me healthy, it is my right to be able to do that. And the people who care about me will respect that and and do whatever it takes to help me with that. The last thing I talked about with my therapist is shifting my perspective to remain positive. So Uh I mentioned earlier that The diet that I just started is pretty restrictive. And when I started talking with her about it, I was using words like hard and scary and overwhelming. And so she called me out on the fact that I was using threatening language, which can trigger my brain and my body into being anxious. So by going into it with this mindset, I could have potentially been setting myself up for failure. And so she asked me to consider flipping that perspective and to think about a way to instead reflect the positive intentions that I have for starting the new diet. So for example, I am going to do well with this diet. It is going to help me get my stomach under control and I'm going to live a free life without boundaries. And I think that's just a totally different way of approaching it.
1: Yeah, flipping the- narrative on yourself can be really hard sometimes, but getting into the mental space that you can actually do something rather than it being this like huge, daunting, shadowy cloud around you is super important. So I'm glad your therapist told you that one.
0: Thank you. And I do want to just take a second to note the idea of toxic positivity, because I do think there comes a time where Positivity is not needed in a chronic health issue. Like if someone receives a cancer diagnosis, the last thing they want to hear is that it's going to be okay and they're going to be fine. And maybe you think that's reassuring, but I just think there's some time where we need to let people just embrace that this is going to be a challenge, but be there to support them throughout it all. And I think that can look like asking what they need from you in that moment. Sometimes I like to ask, you know, do you want advice or do you just want me to listen? And when people just say they want you to listen, that's a great person to be, just to sit there with them in that moment. So, just a couple of thoughts on that.
1: I really appreciate you calling that out because there's there's definitely a distinction in being like, "Oh, I'm going to be perfectly fine," or, or you know, "You're going to be perfectly fine," like you can do this, you know, versus just saying like This is a tough situation, but I'm here to support you in everything. And saying that to yourself too, like that last point, you know, like being able to say like, this is going to be tough for me, but I'm able to do this. Like I'm going to take on this challenge versus like gaslighting yourself into believing everything's (laughs) going to be okay.
0: Yes, definitely. Please don't gaslight yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So that's all that I really have for you what do you think what are your takeaways
1: yeah i think it's still sitting at the front of my mind just how many people actually deal with a chronic illness i never would have thought that it was as high as a percentage as it is in the u.s but maybe that relates to capitalism and its toll on our (laughs) body if i'm being honest and just thinking about your chronic illness and how it's had an impact on your mental health and the way that you're coping with it. I'm just you know, so proud of you. I've, I've seen a shift in your perspective and I'm here to you know, support you wherever I can. But ultimately, I think that if you are dealing with a chronic illness, know that there are people out there who will support you. Um, and if it is having an effect on your mental health, I think you should go to therapy.
0: Uh, join us in therapy, everyone. It's great. <laughs>
1: join us in therapy anything else you want to add Lex? no
0: nope, just keep taking care of yourself and give yourself the space to grow <laughs> i don't know <laughs> we're we're still figuring out how to close these
1: yeah closing has honestly been the hardest part editing the last episode i just like pulled out some dialogue and stuck it in somewhere because i was like That's this funny. is how we end the episode <laughs> those of you who have uh Bear with us.
0: Born. Born. Bored? I don't know.
1: Those of you who have survived in this episode, we thank you for <laughs> listening. And know that this dialogue might be random and, and cooled out just so we can have a good closing. Eh?
0: <laughs> and follow us on Instagram.
1: <laughs> follow us on Instagram at My Therapist Hold Me Pod. Woo. Bye. We'll see you in therapy.